0: Uh, today marks the first uh, sign or the first week of our Advent series, and Advent is a fun way of celebrating Christmas, the coming of Jesus that we took, look to every year. It's also the time where we put up all the decorations. Uh, your house, Dylan already asked if your houses are de- decored. Is that the right way? Decorated. Decorated. You can tell I don't, I don't do that. Carrie just tells me where to put things, and, and that's how it goes. Uh, she's the boss. She also told me that I wear too many flannels, and so she bought me a sweater it's hot not like wow that's hot no it's hot and so this might not make it through the rest of the day but it's the time of year where the uh the radio stations are taking over of from Mariah Carey to Michael Buble the people we only hear of twice a year uh it's that it's what's coming up the lights went on in our house or went up in our house this Tuesday I was bored, and I think Carrie decided that, you know what, Brad has a life insurance policy. Let's see what happens when he goes on the roof. (laughs) And so that happened, and then it got all the way done, and then she said, I want more. And she's all, I want the very tip top of the house covered in lights. And I'm like, great. So the lights need to go up, and and I hopefully don't come down, if you know what I mean, the fast way. Uh, It's a time of year where it's marked by families and parties and friends and meals, yet at the same time for many of us, it's a very difficult time of year. It's a time of year where depression spikes. Loneliness is noticed noticed more. The pain points of our lives, even the ones we've hidden, uh, are oftentimes exposed. Sometimes the ones that we've hidden from ourselves are oftentimes exposed. You know, those awkward places, the vulnerable, the deeply human places that we have, we all have them. And this is one of those times, and maybe you've had them, maybe you've had it spike already. I know I have, where it's like, wow, this you forget how dark it is in Seattle. You forget how gloomy it can be and the gloominess, even though it doesn't matter how many light therapies you have at home or how many vitamin D pills you take, hits you. This time, maybe even more. How many of you have had those awkward times? It doesn't have to be weather related. How many of you have had those awkward times in your life where the fullness of your humanity of all your limitations pop up? You don't have to share them. We can just kind of go, yeah, I got that. Yeah. One of my most horrible times in my life, or the most painful times in my life, uh, comes from middle school P.E. Remember that time? How many, I just say middle school, and you go, yep, that's the one. Yeah. Middle school P.E., third period, Mr. Butterfield's class. Okay. Uh, we, We played soccer one day, and Mr. Butterfield was kind of aloof. He was He's a PE coach. He didn't really do much else. That, that's all he wanted to do was play sports. And so he didn't know that, uh, that the, the part where they, they select two team captains, usually the most popular people in the class, right? And then they start picking teams. Mr. Butterfield would go off and set up the goals, and and it was usually Sean McCarthy. I know him because he, he wasn't very nice. And then another guy who was great. His name was David. Uh, they would pick the teams, and they get all the way down until there's a couple more left. And I was one of the last ones to be picked. Have you ever been there? Now it didn't matter how good you were at soccer or whatever sport you were being played. Now remember, I got cut from the basketball team twice in junior high. Uh, but it was the time where every part of your limitations are exposed. Every awkward feeling you might have is laid out in front of you, like, I'm not good enough. Well, this one was weird because none of these kids knew me. I was new to the school. They didn't know that I was, I'll brag, I was MVP in my city's club league. I was on the, the state championship team. I knew how to play soccer. But they didn't know who I was. They didn't know that, oh, it's Brad. I was the new kid that looked weird, and I still do look weird. I had hair back then. That's the only difference. (laughs) But I was the last one picked, and it was awkward. It was more awkward than fourth period when I went to Spanish class, completely smelly. It was the worst time, one of the worst times that I've ever had. Everything about me is exposed. Everything is second-guessed, and all of a sudden, I'm vulnerable, I'm disliked, I'm devalued, I'm overlooked, I'm unseen, I'm useless, and and well over over all this, I feel worthless. It doesn't have to be middle school, it could be yesterday, it could be three days ago, it could happen tomorrow. It's the worst place to be in. Yet every single one of us are going going, going to go through a time like this in our lives. This is why, or one of the reasons why Advent is such a fun series to go through. Because if you look at the story of Advent in the times of the deepest vulnerable parts of these people's lives, today we're going to look at the story of Mary, next week Zechariah and, and, and Anna, we're going to look at those people. In the deepest part of their vulnerabilities, in the darkest parts of their lives the, lives, the parts of their lives where they all try to avoid, those are the times and those are the places where Jesus shows up the places where they're most exposed, where the humanity is most on this display, that's when Christ comes. In the unexpected places, in the places we're hiding from, in the random conversation, in the middle of our tears, in the middle of our loneliness, at the peak of our depression and and our anxiety is where Christ comes. So the next few weeks, we're going to look at these places. We're going to look at these places in Scripture primarily around the incarnation moments. And incarnation is a fancy Bible word for Jesus becoming flesh, Jesus becoming human, incarnation, the the meat, incarnate, God becoming meat, flesh and bones. We're going to look at those places. And there's no better place to begin our story with the one of Mary. Now, let's be honest. How many of you have heard the story of Mary before? Okay. How many of you heard it more than three times? Okay, we get it, right? Here's the beauty of Scripture and why I love it so much. You can read it over and over and over again, and there's always something you missed. So I'm going to challenge us. Let's not write it off and say, oh, it's the story of Mary. She was the blah, blah, Yeah, it is the same story. It hasn't changed. They haven't updated the story yet. It's the same one. But there's new stuff that we can get to it. There's new stuff that we can, we can glean from it. Because when we look at her story and the story of many others, we find encouragement that even in those places of fear, shame, uncertainty, God will make his presence known. And today I want to look at two places, especially in Mary's life, where God shows up. The first place was the unexpected place. The second place was the vulnerable place. So if you have your Bibles, and if you do, open them. If you have your app, we'll let that one go. Don't check the scores yet. I don't think anyone's playing. In one minute they kick off, but... Let's, let's look at the story, Luke 1, verse 26, and we'll go verse by verse for a little bit and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up at the end with some, maybe some challenges. Uh, Luke 1, 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is another one of those who never thought she would be pregnant again, or pregnant at all, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town of Galilee. Now we're talking about unexpected places. This place of this announcement is in a place called Nazareth. It's a town based on farming. It's in a region of Galilee, a place that's not very highly respected in that culture. It was hardly a place where you think an angel would visit. The angels don't go to these places. People don't go to these places. There's a part in Jesus' ministry where they say, does anything good come from Nazareth? Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of a town where you go, Is anything good come from this place? But maybe you have one in your mind. Maybe it's Tacoma. Or, or, or another town you have, I don't know what town you think of, but think of that place. Nothing good comes from this place. This town was the equivalent to the rest stop between here and Leavenworth, okay? No one pays attention to it at all, yet it was in this place where God decided to make his presence known, a place off the map, a place no one wanted to go to. Only if you had to stop to use the bathroom would you stop in Nazareth. Let's continue. To a virgin, pledged to be buried to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, "'Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you.'" Now, here's the other unexpected place, Mary. In this male-dominated culture, we don't hear a lot about angels coming to women. Women aren't visited by angels a lot in Scriptures. There's only three other places that we can think of. Uh, Sarah was visited by an angel right before she had Isaac, and the angel told her that she was going to have a baby when she was 90-something, and she laughed. Okay, that was, that was funny to her, and funny enough, she named her son Isaac, which means laughter. And so Sarah was visited when she was with Abraham. Uh, the other time where we see angels visiting women is at the empty tomb. So it seems like the important places, God goes to some of the most important people, which happen to be women, to share their story. But it's the most unexpected place in Scripture. Women are usually known by who they're married to. But in Scripture, it's unexpected, and so Mary gets the call. Mary, highly favored one. This doesn't make sense. This is unexpected. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled. The word troubled there means agitated or disturbed, Deeply confused by this greeting. How could this angel think that I, Mary, am favored? This doesn't make sense. I'm Mary would be like me in middle school, the last one picked, but she was the favored one. It, it, it the, the, all of this is go, something is off here in Mary's mind, it doesn't make sense. Mary's thrown off. For someone like Mary, the chips are drastically set against her. She's not supposed to get this greeting. She's not favored. She's not prominent. She's not rich. She's not even married, Uh, yet she's favored highly. Mary, in that time, would have probably have been between 12 and 16 years old. There's something special about her. Now look at the announcement. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This young woman living in a no-name town in a no-name region is going to have a baby. But did you see the problem? she's a virgin. Three times in eight verses, verses, the the writer Luke tells us she's a virgin. Even Mary says it a little, little later, how can this be? I'm a virgin, which is probably one of the most unexpected places we will ever see a baby born. Many people, as they look through the Christmas story, as they look through the story of Jesus, point to this part as one of the most unbelievable parts of life, because we all know, if you don't, ask your mom how babies come. We get it, right? And this doesn't seem to work. Even the people in the ancient world, yeah, they didn't know XY chromosomes. They didn't know all of that stuff. But they knew how babies came. And this didn't make any sense. Yet both Luke and Matthew Harp on this that she was a virgin in drastically different ways. They insist on this detail. Not only, not only them, but if you look back through church history, this detail is widely accepted from the very beginning. It's not something that Athanasius decided to throw in there in 300 AD. This was something that the very, very first church fathers and even the disciples, Jesus, all of them said, yep, she was a virgin. And there's a lot of important details that we can get to when we talk about the virgin birth, a lot of theological ramifications about sin, nature, human nature, impeccability. And all of that stuff is a blast to talk about, but not today. We won't, we won't get to that stuff today. What I want you to see is unexpected place, unexpected person, unexplec- unexpected dynamics, and then boom, God says, "Congratulations, it's a boy." None of this makes any sense. It adds up to being Mary, Mary being the most unexpected, unprecedented person ever to carry on this task. No one would pick Mary. You wouldn't pick Mary. I wouldn't pick Mary. Mary wouldn't even pick Mary. But those unexpected, most unassuming places and things in her life and the things in our life are the places that God makes extraordinary. If you look about how God moves in Scripture, this seems to follow his M.O. God likes patterns, or at least God tends to work in certain ways. And no one expected Mary, but no one expected Sarah to have a baby when she was in her 90s either. No one expected Moses, the guy who stuttered, to lead a nation out of Egypt. But he did. No one expected Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, to be the hero of the story. But she was. No one expected Gideon the mighty mili- to be a mighty military leader in Judges 6. Not even Gideon says that. Gideon says, are you sure you have the right address? I'm the least in my family, and I'm just a fig farmer. And God says, yep, it's you. Gideon didn't even expect it. No one expected the prophet Amos, who was a shepherd in Tekoa, to have a voice that can reach the highest levels of his nation. No one expected Ruth, Esther, Noah. No one expected the 12 disciples who were fishermen to make any difference. No one expected Paul or anyone to have the impact that, God, that they had. But God did. To God, the unexpected is the most fertile ground for his work. Mary is, to that extent, the extreme supreme example of what always happens when God works by his grace through human beings. God's power from the outside, the indwelling spirit that we all have from the inside, together result in things being done that would have normally been unthinkable in every single way. God uses the unexpected. The second place that God uses is the vulnerable. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1.27. If you have your Bibles, flip to the right a little bit more. It'll be on the screen if you can't get there in time. Uh, Paul says this, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The foolish things, the ones that people laugh at, the ones that are shamed, the ones that are nobodies, the weak, the unassuming, the ones that everyone disqualifies, the ones that everyone disqualifies, but God decides he's going to use. For many of us, we seem to write ourselves off, this thing is just too warm. <laughs> I normally sweat, but this is just getting out of hand, so it's already coming down. Uh, that looks good. But God, do I have sweat stains already? Great. Great. For many of us, we write ourselves off, right? We say, I'll never be able to do that. God won't use me, and we have a whole bunch of reasons why. Our pasts aren't the greatest. Perhaps there's a list of things that you can come up with where you can say, yep, I'm disqualified, I get to sit down, I don't get to be a part of this. Perhaps it's your present. Maybe there's a weakness in your life that you are painfully aware of. Maybe, maybe there's an addiction, maybe there's a habit, maybe there was a decision that you made that you keep on making, a continual line of thinking that you just can't shake, that you think, yep, that disqualifies me too. Perhaps you don't think you're someone special or anything special. You're boring. You don't have any talents. You don't have any abilities. You don't have any new ways of thinking. You don't hold a position of authority. You don't have any clout. You're disqualified. And every time you think of those things, and every time you want to step into something, all of a sudden you feel vulnerable. You feel open. You feel exposed. So when you hear someone like me look at someone like Mary and say, God can use someone like you, instantly you think, you have no idea what you're talking about. Stop sweating and get on with it, right? That's what we think. You think that you're the last one to be picked all the time. And all of our reasons are caught up in the first two words of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But God. You might think you're nobody. You might think that you're disqualified. But God. You might think there's no impact you can make. But God. He chooses the ones that no one even thinks of to shame the one that everyone's expecting. He uses the foolish things to shame the smart things. He uses the ones that everyone overlooks to be the ones that he says, I'm going to look at you to do something. And when we realize this, when we realize that God uses the disqualified, the unexpected, the vulnerable, we find ourselves standing on the same ground as many people in Scripture. We find ourselves ready to be used. Let's look at Mary's words again. She comes back with, how is this going to work? In verse 34, how will this be? Uh, in other words, you're kind of mistaken here, Gabriel. Mary asked, since I'm a virgin. Her her words are the same words that we use. God wants to use you, and instantly there's 15 reasons why he can't. Those weaknesses are the very first places where God says, I want to use you. Here's my reason why. And God says, Great, that's where I'm going to start. Mary is limited. Mary is vulnerable. Yet in those places, God's power collides with her inadequacies. Look in verse 135 uh, of, of Luke. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Put your finger there and overshadow. We're going to look at that in a minute. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. In other words, Mary says, I can't be used. And the angel says, yeah, even Elizabeth said that. Now she's six months along. In other words, the angel says, yeah, none of your reasons that you're giving me work, Mary. Those weak places are exactly what we want. Now let's go back to that word overshadow. It says the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The word overshadow is an interesting one. And when we're reading it, we think, oh, great, overshadow. So it's going to like take over Mary where Mary doesn't even matter anymore, right? Not at all. The word overshadow, uh, it it happens only a few times in Scripture. It happens here uh, and then in Matthew and then one other place in in one of Paul's letters. In the Greek word, it's epikadzo. You want to say it? I know you do. Epikadzo. Uh, Good job. Wait till you get to the Hebrew word. Because if you trace this word all the way back into Hebrew, uh, you kind of reverse engineer it. It's the word sachach. Oh, come on. Clear your throat. Sachach. I want to hear it. Sachach. All right. There it is. Uh, It means this. It's used in a few places in the Old Testament, too. Here's one of the places. And he will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. The word there is covered. He'll be your shield and your rampart. The whole imagery there is God like a mother hen shielding his people with the wings, uh, shielding his chicks with the wings so that nothing bad's going to happen to them. The, the, The chicks who are the most vulnerable places in their lives. God comes and he covers. Another place it's used is Psalm 140. It says, the sovereign Lord my strong deliverer will shield my head in the day of battle. Shield is the word sechak. And that means that the most vulnerable part of you in your battle, if you get hit with a spear in the head, you're, you're done. But in this time of battle, God's going to protect you. He's going to overshadow you. The most vulnerable places will be shielded. In other words, the places where we are weak the places where we're most vulnerable, the place where you instantly throw up your defenses because we don't want to know anyone to know about that place, that's the place where God says, I'm going to use you. I want to use that place. The places where we're most vulnerable to attack, the place that everyone disqualifies you, disqualifies you is the place that's covered by his wing, the place where we're shielded by God's power. Now notice what isn't said in this. It never says that God will take away those insecure places. It never says that Mary is going to have to go work on herself. The angel doesn't instruct Mary to say, you know what, you're right. Maybe you should go get married. Maybe you should move out. Let's wait three or four years until you're like 18 and then we can use you. No, no, no. It never says go fix this. God didn't hear Mary's reasons and radio down to Gabriel and say, she's got a point. Let's leave her alone. That never happens not a, not at all instead he says i know you're weak but i'm stronger i know that this is a place where you're vulnerable i'm going to overshadow that part and i don't know if you're caught up in the last if you caught the last part of gabriel's speech but he reminds mary of something and he reminds us of something here in verse 37 for no word of from god will ever fail it doesn't matter how insecure you feel. It doesn't matter how vulnerable you might be. It doesn't matter how many times you've been disqualified or dismissed. If God says that he's going to use you for this, if God calls you to step into a story, God's word will never fail. But we have a difficult time believing this. Because the first thing that we want to do is go and erase all the weaknesses from, and all the vulnerable places from our lives, thinking that if we just get everything set straight, God will use us. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't say, I'll use you once you stop sinning. It doesn't say that. God says, he doesn't, I'll use you once you memorize the first four Gospels. No, He doesn't say that. There's no uh, checklist in order for God to be used. What He's looking for is exactly how you're built right now. Because in those places, remember, in the places of our deepest mess is where God shows up. He didn't say He'd fix the disqualifications. He says that in the middle of them, He would be with her. Later on in history, Paul learns this as well. He often complained about these thorns in his flesh, and Paul likes to use that allegory. It's this part in his life that is always coming up, this part in his life where he's always exposed to just how weak he is. In, first, in 2 Corinthians 12, he goes on about this. He says, even if I choose to boast, and Paul says earlier that he can boast, but he says, even if I choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I, w- I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain... So no one will think of me of, no one will think of, no more of me is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassing revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And he goes on, three times I pleaded for the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may, rec- may, may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. I delight in insults and in hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Our idea is that we would hide our weaknesses. We put on this facade and say, nope, I have everything figured out, and then we fake it until we make it, Right? That's not the way God works. We want to pray the vulnerability way. We want to make ourselves worthy of God's use. But that's not what God is wanting from us. Instead, he's looking for a response like Mary's. Look what he says. Look what she says. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. In other words, God, if you want to use this part of my life, she's saying, use it. I'm your servant. And instead of trying to cover up all of my inadequacies, I'm going to trust in your promise. Mary models for us a posture of surrender where she allows God to use this place of her weakness. It wasn't her job to figure out how God was going to use it. It was was only her job to remain open to the fact that God might use it however he sees fit. And she was confused, and we would be but she didn't resist. She could have said, who am I to have God in my womb? I'm not enough or I've got other plans. I don't have time for this in my life, God. Uh, She didn't say that. She didn't try to assist God in what God was going to do. She didn't assume that her part of the deal was more important than God's part of the deal. When we try and resist or when when we try to resist what God is going to do, we missed a great opportunity to see God's grace on display. That's what Paul was getting at. In all of these weaknesses that God is still using him, we get to see how great God's grace is. And Paul reminds us his grace is sufficient. His grace is more than enough. When we understand this, when you and I get this, we learn something about God, That God seems less interested in our talent and more interested in the way we trust. God seems less interested in what you can do and more interested in how you trust Him. And I have to ask, what if you and I learned this trusting posture during this time of Advent? then we wouldn't be so caught up in the distractions, in the, in the race to keep up, in the race to show up to all these parties, in the race to put up the right decorations in the right place and look a certain way and act a certain way and talk a certain way and do all these things that everyone is expecting of us. What if instead we find ourselves in those places we tend to avoid and then know that God is going to use us wholly inadequate, wholly unfit for use, and God is going to use us and all we have to do is trust. When we do, we'll find that like Mary, we are so full of heaven's child of of Jesus that he begins to live within us and he begins to overshadow those parts that you are trying to avoid. Then we could say like Paul says in Galatians, it's not going to be on the screen, but you can read this in your quiet time if you want in Galatians 2. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. There's places in our lives where we feel wholly inadequate when we go, I am completely broken. I can name three of them. But in those places, God used me and our families. My dad's death left a big gaping hole of, of inadequacy. Whenever you lose a parent, there is something there that you just, you're left exposed. But what I've seen in the five years, six years since dad has passed is God uses the story of my dad's passing to reach people and minister to people who are going through the same thing. God uses that pain point in your life to bring people closer to him. Many of you have been here a while know that I battle with anxiety quite regularly, and it's a hard battle. Instead of me trying to cover it up by saying, I don't worry about a thing, I don't have that, I don't have to take pills or anything like that. No, no, instead of me trying to hide it, God says, I want to use this part in you. Why? Because the majority of the world suffers with this too. And the more you lean into this, he's talking to me, the more I lean into that place of anxiety, that place of inadequacy, that place of fear, the more I will be able to help people find God in the middle of that. Also if you've been here a while you know that I've went through a time where there was an addiction to pornography and that it's instant shame, right? You don't want anyone to find out. But God says, "Look, you had this problem. You've overcome it. It's still a battle. It always will be." But imagine what you can help people through it and say that God wants to meet people in the middle of that shame. You see, all these places in my life, at least, I can look at and go, God won't use me to be here because of those things. There's no reason we should be. But God goes, that's exactly why I want you there. And there's plenty of others. You might have your reasons. They might be the same as mine. There's parts of your story that that you want to hide, but God says, no, 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 no. I want to use exactly that. Why? Because your story is the perfect story for God to reach the people in your lives. He doesn't want you to get cleaned up before he starts to use you. He doesn't say you have to have all the answers in order to be used. He says, I want to use you right where you are. Inadequacies, with your different abilities, with your different stories, because yours is the story that can reach your coworkers for Christ. Yours is the story where you can go back to your families and they'll listen to you. Why? Because they'll see that God's grace is flowing through your life in a way that no one has ever seen. Your life is the perfect life to reach your neighbors, and yours is the only story that'll work. You might feel that you're unexpected. You might come in here and go, I'm just going through the motions, God's not going to use me. And Instantly you say, I'm walled off to anything that God might do. You have all the reasons, but God's saying, those aren't good enough, try again. I'm going to use you in this. And like Mary, we'll see God on full display in our lives. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Mary had a rough road. There was a lot of people who said to her, what is this? Yeah, right, virgin birth, okay, okay. But God still used her. Paul writes more about this in Ephesians 20. He talks about how all of what God can do, and he says this in Ephesians 3, God will do more than you can ask or imagine according to his power and his faithfulness, which is at work within us. Uh, It's an interesting way of reading this, but if you read this as if it builds on each other, you can say this, God, who is the main subject of this verse, God will, God will do what? God will do more. God will do more what? God will do more than you can ask or imagine. Why or how? God will do more than you can ask or imagine according to what? According to his power and his faithfulness. His power and his faithfulness? Yes, the one that is, with, that is at work within your life right now. And then you say, why would God ever use me? And then Paul answers that question because he's glad you're asked. In verse 21, he says, because him, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Why does God use the weak parts in our story? It's so we can't brag about how good we are. We can't say, yep, of course he would use me. I'm awesome. No, no, no. He uses the weak parts in our lives so we can say, I had nothing to do with this. Everything that happens is because God came into my life. And his grace is showing. But God uses the foolish things to shame the wise. But God uses you where you least expect it. But God uses that place in your life where you're hiding. And we need to learn how to trust. How to give him the control. How to give him what our lives in order that he might use it. And so on our first week of Advent, when we look at Mary, when you look at Mary, I want you to see this for the rest of the time. God uses the unexpected. God can use you too. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the pattern of Scripture where you use the people who no one ever thought would be used. Where you use the people that even wrote off themselves. And we listed five of them, and there's dozens more. God, you use the stories of pain in our lives to identify with other people who are going through the same pain. And we can come alongside them full of your grace, full of your mercy, empowered by your spirit, overshadowed and protected in those vulnerable places. And you will use those places to minister to other other people around us. God, your grace is sufficient It's more than what we need. So God, would you send us? Would we learn to trust you in such a way that you would send us to those people around us who are waiting to hear about your good news, about your hope, about your grace? Would you give us the courage to step our story into your story? And like Mary, may we find that your spirit fills us and your son is inside of us. We can sing the hymn of heaven to those around us. It's in your name we pray.